Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Hey, it was, it was a blast to worship with you guys. Thanks for fixing your eyes on him uh, tonight. Um, we had quite an, an afternoon. Uh, Terry, Terry can tell his story, his version of this story. Um, but he missed his flight in, in L.A. or was bumped from his flight. You can correct me if I'm uh, wrong. And so he wasn't actually going to be able to be here with us except for Peter Ledford got in a plane, flew to, yeah, yeah. Peter Ledford. Oh, Pete. Oh, Pete. <laughs> Pete, Pete got in a plane, uh, flew to Burbank while Terry took a taxi from LAX to Burbank to get in his plane and fly back here and land in Visalia. So it's been a wild afternoon. I think we have some photos, actually, of the Virgos (laughs) taking off. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Huge. This is amazing. Hey, for for those of you who don't know, Radiant Church is a part of New Frontiers, which is a family of churches. There's over uh, 900 churches, I believe, uh, in the family. We're one of those. And uh, Terry and his wife, Wendy, uh, started this movement that we're now part of. And so it's a real honor to have him here. Um, We're now a part of the New Frontiers family, which means if you're a part of any family, you should get ready to hear stories over and over again, right? Like, there's some stories that my wife has heard six times, and, and I, I still will tell it again. And my dad's got some stories that I've heard more than six times. So when you're a part of the family, you should get ready to hear stories more than once because that's what families do. And so I'll let you guys in on how we ended up a, a part of New Frontiers. Um, a year and a half ago, a pastor from the Midwest who pastors a New Frontiers church, he's actually coming in tonight, he was on his way to the Sequoias, decided to Google churches in Visalia, ended up at Radiant, was a part of our service, and then messaged us on Facebook and said, your church is a lot like ours back home. The backstory of this is that we, Radiant Church, we've been looking for something to belong, we're looking for something to belong to. We wanted to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, but we struggled to find something that we felt like was a fit, um, specifically because of a desire for His Word, a desire for His Spirit, and a desire to be on His mission. We didn't want to major on one of those and minor on the others. We wanted to be about his word, about um, his spirit and experiencing the fullness of his spirit and on his mission together as a community. And so when that person messaged me and said, hey, your church is a lot like ours back home, I immediately looked up the church um, that they were a part of back home. 
Um, uh, looking into uh, their church led me to the New Frontiers website, um, which I devoured. Um, and not just that website, but a couple other blogs. I listened to things. There were two nights for me where I was uh, on and kind of scouring their sites for probably five, six hours. And at the end of it, I, I just was thrilled with what I was hearing. And in many ways, um, Terry, as I listened to him and, and read some of the things he had written, was putting language to things that I had um, uh, thought or kind of yearnings that I had. He was giving language to those things. So one of the things, one of the first things I heard uh, Terry say was that, you know, he wasn't necessarily uh, trying to be anything but biblical, that he wasn't trying to be reformed, that he wasn't trying to be charismatic, that he wasn't trying to be missional, that he wasn't trying to be any of those things. He was trying to be biblical. And, and what he said was that Paul wrote Romans and he raised the dead. And I thought, that is perfect. That is perfect. Paul wrote Romans and he raised the dead. And, and, and I want a piece of that. Both Romans and, and raising the dead. So Anyway, we've been really blessed to be a part um, after kind of uh, discovering New Frontiers and, and reading some of the literature that they've put out. We attended a celebration um, in the Midwest, which is one of their conferences, enjoyed great relationships with the pastors uh, here in the U.S. And then since then, we've been a part of a couple other events uh, with New Frontiers. And as we continued to go out to St. Louis and go up uh, to the Pacific Northwest. We just continued to connect with them. I know some of you, uh, this time last year, Brian Mallory was with us, who pastors one of their churches in St. Louis, and uh, Bo Noonan was with us in the winter. He, he pastors one of their churches in uh, Tacoma, and this morning many of you heard from John. So um, we've already received from and been blessed by uh, New Frontiers, and we're just excited to continue uh, in this relationship with them. It's provided something really vital for us as leaders. Um, you know, we were looking at the church going, what's next and how do we lead people on? But what we realized really quickly is that our leaders needed to be led, that it wasn't necessarily, that you weren't necessarily the problem, that maybe we were the problem, that we needed to be led, that we needed to move forward and that it would move this church forward as we continued to walk on. So they've provided great input to us and have provided some love and, and leadership, some care and counsel to us as leaders. And it's been a huge blessing uh, to us. And we believe that it's also been a huge blessing to the church. So, Terry, would you come? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I tried to give you the longest uh, intro I had. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, would you join me and pray for Terry? He's had a wild day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for not just telling us what to do, but for giving us the power to do it. And I pray that you would give Terry power to do what you've asked him to do. I ask that you would refresh him and, and Wendy as they're here uh, with us. We thank you for this man. Thank you for the impact he's had on our church already. Pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you would say 
to us tonight and that you would give him grace as he speaks on grace. Thank, Thank you, you Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Such a blessing to hear uh, what he's been saying about your journey, the fellowship we're already enjoying. And uh, it was a huge blessing just to come in and hear you praising and celebrating and laughing and enjoying being together in the presence of God. Uh, so refreshing for Wendy and me after what's been an unusual day. <laughs> we rose very early. I uh, preached twice this morning back to back. And then when I said amen at the second meeting, we ran out of the door uh, not to be caught up with any more conversations. We had an excellent time uh, over the weekend, but we thought we must go. And uh, we're off to uh, LAX. I got hit in the back at one point when we slowed down the traffic, bang, in the back of us, which was fun. Uh, and then we got to the airport, and uh, we, were, uh, we had a, an Alaska Airlines ticket, so we went and stood in line. And uh, then when we got right to the front, they said, oh, oh, this is Alaska Airlines, but uh, American Eagle do this for us. Uh, you're in the wrong terminal. So, hey, thanks. So we have to go and find the next terminal. By the time we get there, uh, they said, sorry, it's gone. Uh, at least you're, you're not going to get there in time with your cases because uh, you have to take a bus across. And so forget it. Uh, but we'll put you on standby for the 10 past 5. Um, and then when we got across there, they said, oh, yeah, you're on standby, but it is full. Uh, so there is the 7.30. Uh, so I, I called John, and he says, we have a way. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> or worse, that effect. And uh, we have just enjoyed that. This has been quite a day, <laughs> flying over, over the mountains. And uh, yeah, it was absolutely excellent. The, the fun thing is I fly a lot um, with aeroplanes. And, uh, um, <laughs> but but I'm, I'm not very good at heights otherwise. And with a very small plane, I thought, now, how am I going to be with this? But it was fun, and it was great. And so uh, the funny thing is I can just feel these ear things over my ears now, and it feels, have I still got those big yeah. things over my ears? Yeah. So everything's a little bit surreal, uh, but it's great. I'm sorry we've come straight from the airport, extremely scruffy, but who cares, eh? So uh, we just pray we can be a blessing to you. What was, what was very funny was we landed in the airport. There's nobody there. And the new challenge, how do you get out of the airport <laughs> here in Visalia? <laughs> so, so we were being met and we, you couldn't get through. And then suddenly again, Peter, our great pilot, came and pressed a button and the gate opened. Out we came. So <laughs> it's, all, it's all very wonderful. I'm more than happy to uh, be speaking to you about the grace of God uh, tonight and the next couple of nights. It's a huge and wonderful and releasing theme. Uh, for myself, I was born again. Um, uh, my family was not Christian. I, 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 I got led to Christ. And I was, to be honest, very backslidden first part of my four years, really. Then had a sort of crisis of uh, uh, meeting God in a, a way that just said, I want your life. And I, I gave myself to God as far as I knew how. And then uh, went off to college, got filled with the Spirit, became a pastor. And, you know, you're working hard, you're serving God, you're preaching the Bible, beginning to build a church. But always with that sense, are you doing enough? Is God really pleased with you? You know, if I prayed when I got off my knees, was that long enough? Uh, I studied the Bible, 
but was that, was that good enough? And so always that sense of, is God really satisfied? And I was a bit driven. I was grateful for my salvation. I was grateful for having received the Holy Spirit and so much that was happening, but never at real rest, really at peace. And so for me, when I, I, I began to see the grace of God in the Bible and began to understand that doctrine, it was like getting born again again. It just released me absolutely. It's been life-changing. I believe we've, uh, we've seen many people come into the good of that truth. And among the churches we serve in New Frontiers, grace would be characteristic of those churches. That people have understood the doctrine, entered into it with joy, and it's given us a freedom, not a carelessness, but a freedom and a peace and a joy before God. And it's good our churches to be what sounds like yours is, family churches, not trying to be religious, but we all want to be zealous for God. But grace has set us free. So I'm very happy to be uh, looking at these themes with you. And we're going to be looking at Romans tonight. Uh, and I'm in Romans chapter 5 to start with. It's quite difficult to interrupt the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, right from the beginning, it's just nonstop. Therefore this and now that. And he builds it and builds it. So it's quite difficult to uh, butt in. But I want to do that simply to come to the theme that we're going to talk about. And uh, we'll read uh, together verse 17. At least I will read with you verse 17 of chapter 5, uh, just taking out one verse. And in this chapter, Paul is comparing and contrasting the results of Adam's sin, his, his rebellion against God, and what that did to the human race, and Jesus' obedience, and what that did for all who are in Christ. That's what his argument is saying. He's saying, well, because of Adam, all this happened. Because of Christ, all that happened. And the whole chapter takes that kind of shape. And we're just going to take one of those verses. I'll just read one of those verses, and then we'll get down to it. For if by the transgression of the one, talking about Adam, death reigned, through that one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Let's just pray. Father, we're so glad to be with your saints, so glad to be in a context of worship. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. We love being before you. We're so grateful to you. We're so thrilled to be your children. And Father, we thank you so much for your promise that you will send the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so, Father, we, we ask you right now, very deliberately, let your Spirit rest upon us. Let your power come down. Help us to truly hear the voice of God together. Help us to hear more than I say. I pray all will hear your voice with clarity and light and persuasion, doing us good, please, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, we do pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, that's a wonderful verse I just read to you, and it has a very vivid phrase in it. It says that we reign in life. We reign in life. It means we're not under things. We're reigning. It's kind of we're on top through what God has done for us, we reign in life. And there are other similar verses. It says elsewhere, we are more than conquerors. 
through him who loved us. Not just conquerors, more than conquerors. Elsewhere it says he always leads us in his triumph. So we're always in triumph, more than conquerors, reigning in life. These are phrases to describe what it is to be a Christian. And I think guess many of us would feel, amen. And then we would feel, hmm, I wish I was doing that all the time. I wish that's where I was. I wish I, I, I wish I was reigning in life. I wish I was more than a conqueror, Monday to Friday, more than a conqueror when we're not just singing, but when I'm facing the tough things at home, raising the kids, having a godly family in the workplace. Oh, if only I was more than a conqueror. And sometimes we, we kind of come unstuck or we come to a, a crisis sometimes. Maybe we go to a conference, an opportunity to set everything aside and, and focus on God and listen to Him. Uh, it's something that brings us to a moment when we can reflect. And maybe we hear some preaching and maybe we even we come to the front and, and say, Lord, I just give myself to you. I'm sorry. I am, I've not been what I wanted to be. Maybe it's you come to the end of the year. And a new, fresh year opens up to you, and you look back over the year and you think, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. That's not what I intended. That's not what I hoped for. Uh, someone's given you a new diary. You haven't messed up any of it yet. And you think, there's a new year, and Lord, I'm going to do better this year. And it's wonderful when we find fresh motivation. We all need moments of motivation. And when we get that, I think, right, I'm going to do it. But the sad thing is, but very often at that very moment, we get it wrong. At that very moment. So as I stand here, I can see two doors uh, exiting this room. But we tend to take the wrong door. And we go through uh, a way which actually the Bible doesn't say. We don't look very carefully. We're motivated. We want to do better. And so we say, what will I do? Well, I'm going to do better this year. I will, what shall I do? I will, I'll read my Bible right through this year. I've got to work harder at it. I've got to read it. How many pages are there? Right, divide it by 365. Right, I'm going to read. You know, wherever, four and a half pages, five, whatever it is. I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Yeah. And I'm going to pray longer. I'm going to put my alarm clock, clock back early. I'm going, to, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to seek God. And uh, I'll witness. I'm going to witness to one person hmm, every day. You know, what we do is we, we kind of... We say, if I can live by these rules, I'll do it. And we kind of impose some laws on ourselves and think, then I'll reign in life. That's what I need. I need some rules. Then I can do it. And sadly, when we do that, what we've done is we fail to read what it says. It doesn't say we'll reign in life through keeping law. It says we reign in life through the abundance of grace. And so... We just go down the wrong track. And it's very sad because we get so unmotivated so quickly. You go into your, your day 13. By then, the, all your ideas, what you're going to do by the second week of January, they're all pointing back at you. So well, I thought you were going to. Oh, no. And so you, you put yourself in a problem. Because Paul says in Romans 6, you will not be condemned by sin because you are not under law but under grace you're not under law you're under grace and it says in Galatians you who would be justified by law have fallen away from grace 
That's funny that, because often when we, we if we do uh, use that phrase anymore, it's a kind of old-fashioned phrase these days, someone stops coming to church, we say, well, what's happened to her? What's happened to him? Well, I think he's fallen from grace. We mean they don't come to church anymore. They're kind of losing their way. Paul doesn't use it that way. Paul uses it this way. He says, if you try and add rules, you've fallen from grace. If you become very religious, you've fallen from grace. That's the tragedy. See, Paul, when he began to preach the gospel, he, he preached a message of such freedom, such joy, that because of the death of Jesus, you are thoroughly accepted. Because he died in your place, God receives you as fully righteous as a gift. He preached the gospel. He went to a town like Galatia. When he went to Galatia, he preached this wonderful gospel. It says the Spirit fell upon the people. Galatians 3 says you received the Spirit. It says signs and wonders were done among you. It was a terrific move. And then, then Paul moved on. And when he moved on, the Judaizers, that's the Jewish Christians, came in behind him and, and saw these new Christians who were formerly pagans and said to them, hey, it's great. You've received our Messiah. Our, our old prophets told us that the Gentiles would honor our Messiah. This is great. Um, but we've known him for years. We've known him for centuries. If you're going to follow him, um, you better be circumcised. And you better keep the Sabbath. And uh, you shouldn't eat that food. And keep the feast days. And, and so what they did was say, all right, so you've received the Messiah. But if you want to be really acceptable, you need to add all this other stuff to make, to make sure you're all right. And Paul was furious. Galatians is his angriest letter. He, he hardly starts it. He says, you foolish Galatians. And he says this, who has bewitched you? That's a big word. Bewitched. All they've done is said, hey, keep the law. Hey, you've been bewitched. It means you've been confused. Someone's dis destroyed your simple faith. It can happen to us. It can be that in our generation, you, 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 you perhaps begin to be exposed to a Christian. You think, I want to know about that person. What is it they've got? And you go to church and you think, wow, they're all like it. They're kind of peaceful and happy and together. And you think, wow, I need to sort my life out. And you, you try to sort your own life out. You try to stop swearing and stop doing this and stop doing that. And you find you can't. And then one day you're in church and you hear the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. You can come just as you are and he'll cleanse you and forgive you and give you a new start. And you hear it and you think, wow, this is the best news I've ever heard. This is good news. And you receive it. You come forward, you, you receive Christ. You think, wow, this is so wonderful. I'm saved, I'm whole, I'm accepted. Wonderful. Then someone comes alongside you and says, I hear you've become a Christian. Yeah, I have. Oh, I'd love to help you. Oh, thanks. Now you're a Christian, you must read your Bible every day. Okay, thank you. And you must pray. Got it. Um, and I wouldn't do your hair like that if I was you. Okay. And I don't think you should wear those kind of clothes. Okay. So I think I've got it. Yeah, that and some, and some more things. Okay, got it. Great. Oh, thank you. I've been so released today. <laughs> And what can happen is you think, what happened to me there? Did I get freed or did I get bound? What happened? Because we're confused. We're confused about 
See, Paul says, sin shall not have dominion over you since you are not under law. You're not under law. Didn't Jesus say the law will never pass away? What's Paul saying? Paul said we're not under law. Are Christians under law? You see, I think if we said, let's have a show of hands. How many of us here think Christians are under the law? Jesus said. Hmm. Or how many people think we're not under law? If I did that tonight, I think many of us would be going, mm, what are the elders doing? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're not sure. We don't know where we are. Is that important? Now, do you know, it's ever so important. It's ever so important. Ever so important. As to how do we relate to God? And some would say this. They would say, well, of course, grace saves you, but you have to go back to the law to get sanctified. Do you know the Bible never says it? It never, ever says that. But that's very common. Oh, you need some law. Well, let's see what it says. We're going to turn over the page, if you still have your Bible t- to hand, and we'll look at Romans 7. I'm going to read the first six verses. We only read one first before. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, which I even use in England but I will certainly use it in America. Okay, <laughs> Romans 7, the first half dozen verses. Do you not know, brothers, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? That sounds pretty final, actually. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then... If while her husband's living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit, for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Now there's masses and masses about this in the New Testament particularly the book of Galatians. But in these half dozen verses, it's a very succinct picture. And I want to just work through it with you. So Paul is using this analogy. He's saying the law is like our husband and has total authority over us as long as we live. It's like we, we, corporately, we are married to the law. He is our husband He says, you should not do this, you should not do this, you should not do this. He has authority. He tells us his requirements. We're we're married to him. And it says also, you can't go and marry somebody else at the same time. So you might say, well, I want to be the part of the bride of Christ. Sorry, no, you're already married. You're married to the law. He's your husband. He tells you what's going and what's not. So that's how we start. And as a husband, he's very correct In fact, you can't really argue with him because he's always right. (laughs) See, the law is always right. The law is right. So we're married to a husband who's telling us when we're wrong, and he's always right. But tragically, he never lifts a finger to help us. 
So I don't see too many of you women saints talking about you. Talking about you. <laughs> now here's a husband that's showing you you're wrong. You can't argue because you know he's right. But he never helps you. He never helps you. Now another thing I need to say before we go much further is this. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brothers and sisters and accuses us day and night. So it says in the book of Revelation. In other words, I would say that accusation is Satan's greatest tool. It's the only thing it says in the Bible. He does it day and night. He's constantly telling you you're hopeless. He accuses you. He tells you you're terrible. Call yourself a Christian. And, he, and it's after all the time trying to get your head down, trying to get you discouraged. That's what he does. The Bible says so. The Bible says he accuses you. You sometimes think, oh, I'm not very... You think that's your reflection. He's accusing you. Now, he gets behind this principle, and we very often feel, well, I just am no good. And the Lord, our husband, is telling us, do this, we can't do it. He never helps us. We feel terrible about it. And Jesus said this about your husband. He will not pass away. So you are permanently married to a perfect husband who always finds fault with you. He'll never, ever help you, and he's never going to die. <laughs> Ain't life grand. I mean, that's what you're stuck with. That's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what it's saying. Now, the way the passage is written, you almost, it almost seems like, well, this husband better die. That's what it sounds like. But Jesus said he never will die. Now, the Bible holds together. It's written by lots of different people over centuries, but it actually holds together. And Jesus said the law will not pass away. Now, it's important for us to remember, the law does not pass away. But notice what Paul does say in verse 4. You, talking to the Christians, were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means this, that Jesus became our representative in every respect, and particularly on this, in this passage, in relation to the law. And Paul's greatest description of the church or a Christian, the thing he loves to call Christians, is somebody who is in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. He loves in Christ. That's who we are. We're in Christ. So here he's saying this, that Jesus somehow took our place. Jesus had two relationships with the law. One was perfect obedience. He was innocent. The Bible says innocent. He never, ever sinned. He was perfect in relationship to the law. He stood up one day. He said, which of you finds fault with me? He said, the devil's coming. He's got nothing on me. Jesus was perfect, absolutely perfect. So he had one relationship with the law, which was total innocence. Then the Bible says this, as we come up to the cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our place. Jesus became the personification of sin. He, and in that time, he bore the curse of the law. It says in Galatians, as he hung on the tree, he bore the curse of the law. The law found him guilty. 
The law said to this Jesus who took our place, you are guilty, you die. And Jesus died to the law once and for all. He took our place, the law cursed him, the law took away his life, God's truth was vindicated, this lamb died in our place. But Paul says this, you Christians were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. That when he died to the law, you died to the law as well. You were in him when it happened. And so Paul says something very similar in Galatians 2, 19 and 20. When he uh, uh, says, I'll just quickly read it to you. Uh, Galatians 2, 19 and 20. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Through the law, I died to the law. I was crucified with him. When Jesus died, our relationship with the law was finished. We have finished our relationship with our old husband. Not because he died, but because we died. And if you look on, you see the similar thing in verse 6, Romans 7, 6. Now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. So we serve in newness of the Spirit. We'll come back to that. We've been released from it. It's rather like a, a guy in the military. Maybe he does two or three years of military service. Let's say he's in the army. And for a couple of years... He's just shouted at by the sergeant. He does whatever he's told. Turn this, do that, so on. The terrible sergeant screams at him. And then there comes the day when he's discharged. He's not in it anymore. That's what it says. He's been discharged from the law. That's the very image. You're discharged. So you can imagine yourself strolling across the parade ground. You've got no tie on. You've got a jacket over your shoulder. And the sergeant turns the corner and says, Soldier! You think, oh, Sarge! You think, hey, wait a minute. I'm out. <laughs> Bye, Sarge. See? And he can't touch you. He can't touch you. You're discharged. You're not under his authority anymore. It's all over. That's what it says. You're discharged. Do you realize that? You're discharged from the law. You've died to that by which you were held captive. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. And so we don't go back for a little bit of law because we died to it. It's finished. We're no longer with that husband. So let's see what happens next. Go back to verse 4, please. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ when Jesus did it for us. Praise his wonderful name. He took the guilt. He took the shame. And the law cursed him and he died. And we died in him. Then it says this. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So we're discharged from the law, we've died to the law, so that what, we can float around? You know, we're not under law, we're just kind of hallelujah, we're free. No, we're not quite. We've died to the law so that we might be joined, and it's, it's still marriage language, that you might be joined to him who was raised from the dead. That's Jesus. You've died to the law so you could be married, joined to Jesus. Hallelujah. In order that we might bear fruit for God. Now that's fascinating. Bear fruit, that's a new phrase that hasn't come up before. In connection with the law, there was nothing that made us bear fruit. When you join to Jesus, you bear fruit. The law says you must, you mustn't, you do this, you do that. 
but he didn't make you bear fruit. In fact, it says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, ever such an important verse. Galatians 3:21, the second half of the verse says this. If a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would come by the law. See, if a law had been given, if, you just, if the law could impart life, if the law could impart life, let's go into all the schools in America and let's just say, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not, you shall not. Just tell them. If the law imparts life, just tell them the law. But the Bible says this, if a law had been given that could impart life, but he can't, then righteousness would come by the law. Let's just go and tell the law. Change the nation. No, it doesn't work. Why? Because the law doesn't impart any life. The law is an impotent husband. He doesn't make you bear fruit. He just tells you what you're not. He doesn't change you. We've died to the law in order that we might be joined to a new husband that we might bear fruit. Jesus is not an impotent husband. He's potent. He's full of life. And so he says this, abide in me and I in you. You will bear much fruit. The Lord never said that. He couldn't impart life. It says it's the newness of the spirit, not oldness of the letter. It's just written on stone. Jesus is a life-imparting husband. You want to be changed? Get to know Jesus. You want to bear fruit? Fall in love with Jesus. You want a new life to grow out of you? Stay very close to him. You don't say, well, I'm not doing very well. I better go back to the law a bit and sort that. No, 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 he's hopeless. You can't communicate in your life. That's why that teaching that says you need the life to sanctify, the law to sanctify you is plain wrong. Because he can't do it. He cannot do it. He can't produce holiness. It says in Hebrews, the law brought nothing to perfection. Nothing. He can't do it. And so sometimes you meet a Christian and say, how are you getting on? They say, oh, a bit up and down. I want to suggest to you they're a bit husband to husband. They're kind of saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm not doing as well as I should be. I, I want to reign in life more. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this relationship with my old husband. That will really please you, won't it? <laughs> See, try that in the world. You know, I'm going to really develop my relationship with my new husband by really cultivating my relationship with my old one. No, no, no. That's not the way. See, you don't need a way to the way. Jesus is the way. He's the way. And even to the lukewarm church at Laodicea, he says, I'm, sta- I'm outside. You've left me outside. Sad. You've left me outside. Then he says this. I'm knocking the door. If anyone hears my voice, open the door. I'll come in to them. Yeah, you're lukewarm. No, no, I'll come in. I'll come freshly to you. Not, hey, you've lost the way. You better go and do this and this and this and this and I might be pleased with you. No. No, open the door. Look what happened to Simon Peter. No, I don't know him. I've never heard of him. He's hopeless. I'm not, no, 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 I don't know Jesus Christ. No, 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 I'm not with him. What happens? Jesus goes and prepares breakfast for him at the lakeside. 
Do you love me, Peter? <coughs> He's just so gracious. He just comes to us with grace. He's a life-imparting husband. He's amazing. Jesus is amazing. And I don't have to do something to win his love. Because while we were without strength, he died for us. While we're enemies, he laid down his life. How much more? He keeps giving his life to us. And so we are freed from that whole relationship. We're no longer under that husband. It's a finished thing. It's all over. You need to understand that. It's a finished thing. It's all behind us. Otherwise, we're forever trying harder to produce a life that is satisfying to God. And Paul said about his own generation, his contemporary Jews, he said, this is the tragedy. They're going around trying to establish a righteousness of their own based on law instead of receiving the righteousness that comes through Christ, through faith. They're trying to establish their own. They're trying to get some credibility by the things they do. How long do they pray? You say, Terry, don't you pray anymore? No, I love praying. But I never pray and say, was that good, Lord? Did 20 minutes this morning. Pretty good, eh? I'm pr- are you impressed with me this morning? I don't do it like that. Do you, don't you read the Bible anymore then? You keep saying these things. Hey, I'm getting all this from the Bible. I love the Bible. But I'm not reading the Bible to get brownie points. God, I read the whole chapter. Good, eh? No, it's, it's, that's not the score. I want to do I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to produce a righteousness. I'm not trying to impress God. I found someone who did it for me. Jesus has done it. We reign in life because it's finished. And Paul says this to Timothy, the law is good, provided you use it lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous, but for sinners. So the law, we don't say the law is finished. We need to be ever so careful. Terry Virgo did not say the law is finished. The law is still there. It's still pointing sinners to their sin. You see, Galatians, if we had time to go to Galatians, the law is our school teacher to bring us to Christ. But once he's brought us to Christ, he withdraws. Because only Jesus saves. The law just makes you know, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. Having been saved, you don't go back to the law because he can't help you anymore. It's a bit like American busing. The, the, the law is our, it's a school teacher in lots of translations. If you look in the margin of some more modern translations, it actually says child collector. And the actual uh, role that of the word that's used in the text is uh, it was a certain slave in the Roman households who had this responsibility of collecting children and taking them to school. So it's not actually school teacher, it's a child collector. That's why I say like busing. Bring all the kids and bring them to school. The law is, is telling us you're hopeless, you're useless. And you, you think, oh, if only I could. And you can't. And so you're brought to Christ. Once you come to Christ, you don't go back to him. Because you're home now. You're accepted now. And Paul spells that all out in Galatians. So we reign in life. One more thing we need to just nail before we finish tonight And then we're going to carry it on again a bit tomorrow night and a bit more the next night. I want to build a a great big picture here. We want to work at it together. And I hope there's a book out there, God's Lavish Grace. We need to, honestly, beloved, it's life-changing. And it's very easy to slip from it. 
You can go out of this place tonight and think, wow, this is wonderful. But sometimes you can slip and go, oh, I don't think I'm doing very well, and you forget. So we need to really get it into our hearts. We need to work at it and say, oh, I see, I see, I see, I've got it, I'm free. You see, we reign in life, it says here in Romans, through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. It's a free gift. You see, sometimes we're trying to get rid of condemnation. That's what the Bible talks about. We feel guilty. We just feel, how are you getting, oh, I feel condemned, really. How do we try and get rid of it? Well, we're often trying to get rid of it by our sanctification. So if I can say this left arm represents our consciousness of guilt, our condemnation. We feel, oh, we're not very good. And so we try and cover it by our sanctification. So we're praying harder and we're reading our Bible more and we're trying to witness. and We're trying to get rid of a feeling of guilt by our activity, our religious activity. We're trying to get rid of it. You see, we think, I'm working hard. Uh, and then Satan comes and accuses you. Well, I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard. I'm praying hard. I'm trying to get better because all this accusation comes. And, that, and then Satan says, have you heard about Jane? No, what about Jane? She fasts twice a week. Oh, no, fasts twice a week. <laughs> Good grief. So I better do that as well. So now I'm praying. Now I'm reading the Bible. Now I'm fasting twice a week. You see, and, then, and then Satan comes along. How are you doing? I'm doing better. What, what are you doing? I'm praying. I'm fasting twice a week. I expect you're pleased. Yes, I am pleased. I expect you're proud. Yes, I am. Oh, no, proud. (laughs) See, lots of Christians, they feel, you can't win. You can't win as a Christian. If you're doing badly, you're doing badly. If you're doing good, you get proud you're doing badly. (laughs) Because it's all, how am I doing? Instead of of seeing what it says in the Bible, where it says this in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Because we're justified. See, sanctification isn't meant to answer guilt. Justification does. Justification says you are declared not guilty. I know a guy, when he first read that, there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's all, just in Christ. He underlined it so much, it went right through to the maps. I'm in Christ. It says in Romans 4, to him who doesn't work, but believes in the God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is regarded as righteousness. Oh, it's breathtaking. It's a gift, dear friends. It's a gift. And we live in this world of being thoroughly justified as a gift. We reign in life. Otherwise, we're just trying all the time to, to prove it. It's like, it's like we cope. We may go home from this meeting tonight and think, hey, I'm back with Jesus. I'm, I really feel I'm with him. He's with me. It's so good to be in Christ. And, and you go back and you get up in the morning. Let's pretend I'm one of the wives here. You say, right, I'm going to pray, Lord, this morning. Uh, bless my husband at the workplace. Uh, make him a blessing. Let him really serve you. Let his life count for you. Uh, Lord, oh, it would be nice to get a meal for him tonight. That would be fun. I wonder what he likes. I know he likes that. I could get down to the shop. That would be fun. I get nice. Oh yeah, I get some candles. I'm supposed to be praying. Um, Oh yeah, prayer, praying. Oh God, 
Oh, God, uh, bless. Um, oh, it's the missionaries, yeah. We've got the missionary supper on Saturday night, the missionary supper. Oh, God, bless the missionary supper. When those missionaries come to us and we provide the supper. Oh, the supper. <laughs> I, I, was, I was supposed to be doing the salad. I haven't got the salad. I need, I need to get to the salad. Oh, God. Oh, maybe I could do that at the same time and I'll get it for my husband. That would be fun. <laughs> you see, you see, then, and then Satan comes and says, Oh, mighty woman of intercession, <laughs> are you prevailing in the heavenlies? <laughs> you think, no, I'm useless. I'm hopeless. I try and pray. My brain goes out the window. I'm terrible. Oh, a terrible Christian. I'm a terrible Christian. See, last night, ooh, we were Jesus this morning. Oh, terrible Christian. Can't pray. I better get to my Bible reading. Where was I? Uh, my Bible reading. Oh, that's right. I was 13 days behind, wasn't I? Uh, I'll catch up. Yeah, I was in, I remember, I was in Leviticus. That's right. And uh, the, the priest shall take some of the blood on the horns, he shall remove from the sacrifice all the fat of the bull, of the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat which is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. See, then, then Satan comes and says, uh, getting a lot out of it, are you? <laughs> you see, you say, no, I don't understand a word of it. <laughs> so then you think, I'm a useless Christian. I'm hopeless, I'm hopeless. Last night, hallelujah, I love Jesus, he's with me. This morning, I'm a useless Christian. Something terrible must have happened through the night. What happened through the night? We slept through the night. Nothing happened through the night. <laughs> but this morning, listen, this morning I am assessing my relationship with God on the basis of how well am I doing this stuff? That, that, how well am I doing it is how I... See, that's not how you relate to God. When you get up in the morning, you're like, oh, I better go and do some stuff. Oh, gosh, I nearly missed it. I'm reading, Lord, I'm praying. See, and then other people say, when you pray, you need to pray first, confession. Now, cleanse the, you just cleanse the way. That you know, makes good sense. Cleanse everything away. Start with confession. Jesus didn't say that. You see, you do that. You say, oh, God, I'm so sorry for... And then Satan's right there. And he'll say, and that. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry for that too. <laughs> See? And he'd give you a shovel or a spade. It's like, oh, and dig a big hole for yourself. Down you go. Oh, and I did that. And I did that. Oh, and I did that. See, and think, oh, if you get back up to ground level, you think you had a good prayer time. Because you think, it's me and how bad I am. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our oh, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father. Shut the door and talk to your Father. I've got some kids that call me Father. Dad, it's, you come to him. He loves you. He's for you. Now, if you work through the Lord's Prayer, which I find quite a helpful structure, you'll find you do come at the end and forgive us our debts. Yeah, of course. There'll be things we need to get forgiven. But we're not going to live this life of, well, I'm such a rotter. I can't do it. We're missing the point. 
we reign in life through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. That's how we reign in life. And if we don't take this good news seriously, we're trying to work out our salvation on our own. We're just trying to do good. And we're missing the heart of the gospel. The gospel is good news, not good advice. It's great news. It's great news. You're free. You're accepted. You're delighted in. You're accepted in the beloved. So righteousness, even in the Old Testament, they would, they would bring their lambs as a sacrifice. And the lamb had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish or spot or any broken limb. And so you'd come to your priest and, you, and you'd, you'd bring your lamb. And you offer your lamb. And when you, bring the, you put the lamb in the hands of the priest and the priest takes the lamb, you're not thinking, I do hope he doesn't notice this is all torn and I've got mud here. He's not, that's not the point. What's he think of my lamb? All eyes are on the lamb. And he looks at the lamb. Is it diseased? No. Is it blind? No. Any broken limbs? No. And then he said this, I find no fault in him. Nothing wrong with my lamb. I've accepted. There's nothing wrong with our lamb. He's innocent. He's holy. I've accepted. The Old Testament was teaching us that. It's not you, it's your lamb. We've got a lamb who is innocent. We're accepted. Thoroughly. Thoroughly accepted. I remember once I was praying, and as I was praying, I, I felt God reminded me of the story of Jacob when he went to his blind father, Isaac, who's getting pretty old, and he takes the clothing and the skins and he pretends to be Esau because Isaac loved Esau. He's, he, he's, he's, this is my, my joy, Esau. He wants to bless Esau. So in Esau's absence and with Isaac being blind, he puts Esau's clothes on he puts skins on his head. He draws near to his blind father, hoping against hope that his blind father doesn't say, here, what are you doing in there? He's hiding in the son that he loves. And I felt, as I was praying, I felt God reminded me of that story. I felt God said to me, don't be scared as you draw near to me, that I will find you hiding in the son that I love. Because I've put you there. I've put you there. It says in, he, in Ephesians chapter 1, we are accepted in the son that he loves. He loves his son. And we are accepted in the beloved, in the son that he loves. And not only are we accepted, but we receive all spiritual blessings there. I had the joy of praying for some people for the baptism of the Spirit this last weekend. Last night, been a bit of a crowded weekend, night before. <laughs> And we saw loads of people get filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, enjoying God. And I've known this, that a number of people say, they're just going to be, oh, but I don't think I'm good enough. I used, to, I used to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't say that anymore. I say, of course you're not good enough. Well, on ever, th- how long are you going to take to get good enough? It's nothing to do with you. You receive all spiritual blessings because you're in the Son that He loves. That make, that's, that's what it says. And, and Jacob got blessed and blessed. And he said, this is my son. I bless you and I bless you. Jacob's hiding in the son that he loves and getting all the blessings. <laughs> so do we. We hide in the son that he loves 
and get all the blessings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not because we deserve it, but because it's, we're in him. We're in a new standing, a new relationship, new identity. It's breathtaking. It's great news. John Bunyan, the old Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said one day he was feeling depressed and he was walking in the open air. He looked up and he says this, interesting for an old Puritan. He said, I saw a vision. So I saw a vision of Christ as my righteousness. And he said, I suddenly realized it didn't matter how low I felt or how good I felt. I couldn't take away from his righteousness and I couldn't add to his righteousness. Jesus Christ is my righteousness and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So when you wake tomorrow morning, Jesus is your righteousness. Before you ever prayed, before you only clocked up some marks, he's, even if you slept through, he's still your righteousness. It's just breathtaking. Some oh, very dangerous. No, no. The gospel. <laughs> the gospel is the good news. And dear friends, if you don't get it, you'll be forever fighting this battle. But when you do get it, you say, no, I'm accepted. He, he, he's regarded me as righteous. And it says in Hebrews, all the priests of the Old Testament, they never sat down. You know that in Hebrews? It says, they, because why? They keep on having to offer another sacrifice. And it says this, Jesus, when he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down. Having perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He's done it. He's perfected us for all time. It doesn't get any better than that. He's made us righteous as a gift. That's the gospel. And so many of us have had this muddled message. Yeah, you're saved, but you need to get, mm, do that, do that. No, no, no. I do read my Bible. I love to pray, but I don't do it to make myself accepted. I am accepted. I don't do it to make myself righteous. He's declared me righteous as a gift. It's a done deal. And Jesus gets all the glory. Yes. Jesus, it's not for us this that he should boast. It's of grace. God gets the glory. He's declared you free. You're not under law anymore. You're really not under law. I'll close with this verse. I don't know how many times I've said I'll close, sorry. <laughs> It says in Romans 4, we just finished this, Romans 5, where we started. It says in verse 14, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Adam, it says here, is a type of Christ. Now, you may be familiar with that biblical principle of some things or people being a type of Christ. So people tend to think of David, the warrior king. He's a type of Christ. Moses, that great leader, he's a type of Christ. Sometimes things like the ark, you have to get into the ark to be saved. It's a type of Christ. It's typical of, it symbolizes Christ. And there are many Old Testament characters and figures that are a type of Christ. We tend not to think of Adam as a type of Christ because he was a sinner. We thought, how can a sinner be a type of Christ? 
But this is what this whole chapter is about. That when Adam sinned, he wrecked the whole human race. He was the whole human race. And, and, and we, we were polluted. When he sinned, he polluted us. And so the Bible says we're children of disobedience. We just grow up that way. He wrecked us. And, and it doesn't matter how much good you try and do, you must be born again. You need another birth. Because while you're in Adam, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. Even your righteousness. So you go, you know, go down to the street and there's, there's a little elderly lady, some children, and the traffic's coming by. You say, hold on, wait for me, wait, wait, wait. Okay, here we go. Over you go. God bless you. Have a good day. Oh, you want to go, go the other way? Okay. Uh, let's see you. Hold on. Well, yeah. Okay, over we go. Now, you can do that all day. <laughs> but if you are in Adam, that doesn't get you out of Adam. So at the end of the day, all your righteousness is filthy rags. As the Puritans said, they are but glorious sins. <laughs> Adam's a type of Christ. So now I'm in Christ. Now I go down to the street corner and there's an elderly lady. Excuse me. <laughs> what happened there? See, did that take me out of Christ? No. So I'm still righteous, yet. So I'm a righteous granny basher. I'm in Jesus. And he's righteous. I'm accepted. Crazy, eh? <laughs> so, wow. Shall we carry on sinning then? So that grace can abound. Because it says here, I'm still, right, I'm still righteous. But wait a minute. Shall I carry on sinning so that grace may abound? Where have I heard that? Oh, that's what it says next chapter. <laughs> next chapter. What should we say? Should we carry on sinning? So that grace may abound. The old King James translation said, God forbid. <laughs> Although the word God does not appear in the Greek text at all. J.B. Phillips, that true Englishman, said, What a ghastly thought. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we carry on sinning? No. And then he uses a whole chapter to take us into the next stage. Into the next stage. But I, I want to go there tomorrow. So we finished tonight. When I was at school, we used to do watercolor painting. And, and, and we, we'd paint a, a country scene, and we'd paint blue sky with lots of water to keep it light. Otherwise, children paint sky dark blue. So just keep a lot of water, and you go down the page, and you just leave the blue. And the teacher would say, now tomorrow we're going to do a green field and a tree, she said, no, 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 I just, so just leave it. I don't want to leave it. That's not a picture. That's just sky. No, leave it. Let it settle. Let it dry. No, I want to paint my brown tree now and my green field. Let it dry. No, it's not a full picture. I'm going to paint the... So it's still wet and you paint your brown tree. What happens? 
you don't get a brown tree. You get ugh all over the place. <laughs> if you rush from Romans 5 to Romans 6 too quickly, and you begin to see how Jesus also gives us victory over sin, as we'll see tomorrow night. It's wonderful, wonderful truth. You begin to think, oh, I see, so he loves me if I get victory over sin. And we don't hear our five clearly. No, he loves you now. He's declared you righteous as a gift now. So what I'm going to say tomorrow won't take away from what we're saying tonight. It'll simply add to the picture. But you must get hold of chapter 5 on its own. You've just got to know, I'm righteous. When you wake tomorrow morning, I'm righteous. God declares it. Does somebody know better than God? God says there's no condemnation over you. That's the last word. You can say, well, I disagree. No, no, you can't disagree with God. He says it. He says, I declare you righteous. You are righteous. That's what I've told you you are. He's, he has accepted us because we're in the one he loves. And it honors his son if that's the only place we find our righteousness. and brings him great pleasure that we're honoring Jesus. And he's happy to call us righteous. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now when you come back, please do come back tomorrow and we'll build on that. So, is Visalia a safe place tonight? There's some scores of people going out saying, hey, I'm righteous out of my way. (laughs) And I'm still righteous. So, go and live a crazy life for one night. (laughs) Tomorrow we'll, we'll paint the fuller picture. Let's just pray. Father, we cannot tell you how grateful we are that you've taken the load. Thank you for your wonderful word. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. Lord, you you challenged the Sadducees and Pharisees. You said you lay heavy burdens on men. You don't lift a finger to help them. They were full of guilt, full of legalism. You said, come to me. I'll give you rest. Jesus, thank you. You are our Sabbath rest. You are our resting place where we cease striving, where we find a righteousness that we never built up, we never earned, We're so grateful for this awesome gift, this wonderful, wonderful victory. We thank you, Lord, we've died to that old husband. That relationship's all over. It's finished. That we might be joined to you, Jesus. We might bear fruit for you. Lord, we want to love you more and more, express our gratitude to you, get to know you more, to to abide in you, that you might abide in us, You change us from the inside. You bring forth love and joy and peace. and We're so grateful. You said, my peace I give you. My joy I give you. My love poured out in your heart. You're a wonderful husband. We're so grateful that you change us from the inside. Keep on drawing us, Lord Jesus. Keep winning our hearts, Lord that we might receive from you and bear much fruit to your glory.
Bless your people tonight. Bless us as we fellowship together through these few days. Lord, make these days of life-changing power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the beautiful things here in life. And I